chapter 4 now. And the, the text I want to read, oh, before I do that, we need to dismiss the children. I'm glad I saw you also. Kids, you can go to your class. Forgot about you. And thank you, volunteers, for doing that ministry. Philippians chapter 4. We're going to read verses 1 through 9. That's going to be my text this morning. So let me read that and you follow along. Therefore, my brothers... You whom I love and long for, my joy, my crown. He's so personal here. That is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes. And I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. What we see in this church, as I read that the first couple of verses, you see there's a problem in the church at Philippi. Two women are fighting with each other. Does that ever happen in the church? Do people ever disagree and are at odds with each other? Yes, of course, it happens. And when it does, it creates stress in our lives and especially the pastor's life. Let me tell you about two men who attended a particular church for years and years. But they had gotten to the point where they didn't even acknowledge each other, let alone speak to each other. And and the new pastor came in and observed this and was aware of it and wanted to do something about it. So he went to the first man, let's call him Mr. Jones. And said, no, not Kay. (laughs) Just Jones and Smith are going to be the names, okay? Pretty common names. Mr. Jones, what do you think about Mr. Smith? Ah, that Mr. Smith, he's a rotten, no good, low-down scoundrel. And he just went on and on and on. But then he said, but would you agree that he's a good father? Oh, yes. That's obvious to everyone. His kids are great, well-behaved. He's a very good father. So then he went to Mr. Smith and said, hey, what do you think about Mr. Jones? Oh, that Mr. Jones, he's a no good, rotten scoundrel and on and on about how terrible Mr. Jones was. But then he said, but would you agree that he's an honest businessman? 
Oh, yes, I would agree with that. Everyone knows he, he's a good businessman, has lots of employees in, in our county and is fair and honest in his business. So the pastor went and told each man what the other had said about them. So it wasn't too long till they saw each other at church that they at least nodded to each other. And then finally they spoke and eventually became good friends. Conflict, worried thoughts and other bad thoughts. These things cause stress in our lives. And so Paul, throughout the book of Philippians, at least 14, 15, 16 times, but depending on your translation, he says, rejoice. And so we wonder in this world in which we live, how is that even possible? How can I rejoice with all that's going on in the world? And as we read further in this passage, and it tells us not to worry, it seems totally absurd. How is that even possible? Not worry? Don't be anxious? We have to believe the Bible. Because that's what the Bible says. And God never commands us to do something that's impossible. Conflict steals our joy. So we have a situation here where how would you like to be the two people who are remembered forever who couldn't get along? I mean, they're even named here. Oftentimes stories in the Bible, there's some kind of an issue and we we don't even know who it is, but they're named here. So forever Christians have been reading about these two ladies who couldn't get along for 2000 years. I think it would be interesting to meet up with them in heaven and say, hey, I'd really like to know what were you guys arguing about? Even their names are funny. I I like to call them odious and soon touchy. The meaning of their names were also quite interesting. Prosperous journey and pleasant acquaintance. I'm sure they were fine ladies, fine women. And I'm pretty sure this wasn't a doctrinal dispute or the Apostle Paul would have come down very hard on him right away. It was probably a personality thing. That's usually the case when good people disagree and fight with each other. But we see that there's significant women and solid Christians. Paul says, you've contended at my side. They were leaders of some sort, but now they were bickering And people in the community were taking sides. But Paul here doesn't take sides. He just wants the situation dealt with. So he says to them, agree in the Lord. And that means literally think the same thoughts. Look, you're on the same team. You have the same goals. Jesus is both of your Lord and master. So lay aside your differences. It's really hurting the church. Romans 12, 18, Paul says. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Sometimes we can't control how someone else thinks, what they do. But as far as it depends on me, as far as it depends on you, I'm going to be the person that's honorable in this situation. I'm not going to talk badly about them. I'm going to go to them and try to work it out. You do what you can to agree in the situation. So he then asks Syzygus to help them out. Now, the NIV translates that yoke fellow, which the NIV decided to go with the nickname or title rather than a personal name. But I think the guy's name is Syzygus. And Paul tells him to remind them of their work together. They had worked together in the cause of Christ in spreading the gospel. 
women had a role in the early church. And then Paul tells him next to rejoice. Find something to be glad about, ladies. Then he tells him in verse five, be gentle. Your divisiveness is evident to all, not your gentleness. You've you've hurt your witness. You're hurting the cause of Christ. And then Paul leads into four simple statements of admonition to them and us, as well as rejoice and, and be gentle that I think we can apply and put into situations in our own lives when we find ourselves under stress because of conflict and worry. The first one is stop worrying. And we see that at the first part of verse six. Stop worrying. Now, let's see what Jesus has to say about this. Matthew chapter six. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body. What you will wear is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So be anxious for nothing. Don't worry about anything. Man, that covers a lot of ground. From the trivial to the tragic. Now, some might say, but pastor, I'm a worry wart. It's like God made me that way. They just always have this general sense of anxiety about everything all the time. Plus, the stressors of this world, man, that's a lot of worry. And it's hard not to worry. I acknowledge that. It is hard not to worry, but it's possible. I want to give you an example of a time not that long ago where I was really worried. It was just after COVID had broken out last March. We had just returned home from our vacation and the president, Trump, then had gone on television and said, you know, things are going to close down. You guys remember that very well. Well, just a few days after that, Ashley, the director of our school, said, I'm not feeling very well today. This is about noontime. I, I'm, I think I should go on home. So she went home and then she called me over the weekend. I think this was on a Thursday. She called me on Friday or Saturday. And said that the the foster child that we have was away last weekend and he's gotten really sick. I'm concerned that he might have gotten COVID and, and given it to me. And this is so early on in the COVID scare. And so immediately I'm freaking out. Oh, no. 
what's going to happen if the director of our school has COVID? She was mingling with teachers and students, you know, today. And I, I was worried. So I got on the horn to our executive director, Tom Crawford, and let him know about the situation. And I said, boy, if this thing blows up, it could shut our school down. And so he consulted some legal counsel and we we were doing everything we could do. But what was left to do but pray and just not let it consume me. It was in my thoughts. And when it was started to feel like it was overwhelming me, just toss it back to God. God, this is yours. And it took a long time to get test results back then. Ten days, two weeks. It would seem like forever. And then she said he tested negative and so did I. I was like, that was a relief. God, you helped us. You Thank you so much. And by May, our school had got down to 20 kids. That was the least ever. And it's built back up in our summer enrollment. is something like 165 or whatever. Uh, God has blessed our school. But that's, that was an example of, you know, just being worried where you can hardly think about anything else. And I'm sure you've worried once or twice in your life, too. And when you do that, you know what you're doing? You're assuming responsibility that you shouldn't have. You know, you're playing God. You're taking the role of God when you are constantly worrying. You're trying to control the uncontrollable. A man named Dr. Walter Cavert did an interesting study on worry. And here's his findings. 40% of the things we worry about never happen. 30% of our worries concern the past, which we can't control anyway. It's already over and done with. 12% are needless ones involving minor health issues that you're certainly going to get over. 10% he found were just insignificant things in themselves. He found that 8% were really significant major issues. That means 92% of the stuff we worry about is useless and a waste of time. Here's an insight I want to give you. Live one day at a time makes a pretty catchy country and Western song. And it makes a lot of sense. Live one day at a time. Jesus, again, in Matthew 634, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I can't control the future or the past. I only hurt myself by worrying today. So I'm going to live one day at a time. If a problem arises, I'm going to tackle that problem head on. But I'm not going to be worrying about the past or the future. Okay, here's a second thing from the Apostle Paul here. Pray about everything. He says that in the middle part of verse six. Pray about everything. Matthew 7, 7, Sermon on the Mount, again, Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. And James 4, 2, I'm just going to read the very last part of that. You do not have because you do not ask. So God commands us to not worry. We must be able to obey him or he wouldn't command us to do that. But how do we do it? Here's what I found is I've got to replace my worried thoughts with prayerful thoughts. It's just a matter of switching around. I'm laying in bed, and this is oftentimes when we do our worrying. We can't get to sleep. The thoughts are running over and over our mind. The conflict with somebody. We got to, what am I going to say? What am I going to do? 
instead of just letting that continual stream of worrisome thoughts cycle in and out of your brain, turn them into prayers. Just make them a prayer instead. And I have found that has really worked for me. Don't panic. Pray. Put more time into praying and less time into worrying. Pray about everything. Again, the scope of that, it's huge. Everything big and small alike. Nothing is too small to talk to God about. You're not boring him. It isn't like he's got a lot of other stuff in running the universe to deal with that he can't handle your little thing. He's concerned about your little thing. Paul uses four prayer words here. Let me just give you a real brief definition. Prayer is the general term, which means a person whose mind is stayed on God. You know, just kind of continually God's there in your thoughts. Petition is to express a need. Sometimes for yourself, sometimes for others. Uh, The word thanks is to acknowledge that God will do what's best. So knowing that, I can thank him even ahead of time before he's answered. He's going to do what's best for me in my life. I can trust him. Request, those are the individual things that you need. So specific, be specific in your prayers. Not just, oh, God bless me. But what specifically do you need? Okay. Studies were done by a life insurance company, and they found that folks who attend church once per week live on average 5.7 years longer than those who don't. And I think, why is that? I think prayer is one big reason for that. When, when you're with other believers, you're, you're in an atmosphere of praise and prayer and belief and faith. And, and plus, sinful lifestyle habits are discouraged And healthful, healthy lifestyle habits are encouraged in church. We we need to be with other believers. That that will help us. Worry will destroy your body, so give your worries to God. He made the universe. He can handle your problem. An insight for this one. There's no problem too big for God's power and too small for his concern. Okay, let's do a third. Thank God. The last part of verse six. First Thessalonians 518 says, give thanks in all circumstances, not for all circumstances. But in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. When you are giving thanks, you know, you're in the center of God's will. God's will is for you to give thanks, to have that attitude of gratitude. Everything that you have. Every blessing, your health, your, your, you know, your job, your family, everything is a gift to you from God. So thank him. And by thanking him, I think that keeps us perpetually humble because we're saying, I didn't do this all myself. God, you gave it. You were so gracious and good. Thank you. I'm convinced that the ungrateful are sadder and sicker than those who are grateful. Here's an insight. There's always something To be grateful for. So find that thing. And let God know. Here's the fourth thing. Think about the right things. We see that in verse 8. Think about the right things. Proverbs 23 verse 7 in the King James Version says, As a man or person thinks in their heart, so are they. Our minds are always at work. 
I speak about 200 words per minute, maybe a little slower than that. Some people talk a lot faster, about 200 words per minute. You think about 800 words per minute. So while I'm talking, you're thinking about different stuff. You look like you're looking at me and you look like you're really paying attention. But I know those wheels are churning inside your head and you're thinking about other stuff. Like, what am I going to have for lunch? You know, OK, so that's OK. I'm OK with that. So if you ask somebody, hey, what are you thinking about this this minute? You look at them, they have this blank stare and they tell you nothing. That's not true. You know, they're thinking about something. They just don't want to tell you what they're really thinking about you. Right. We're always thinking about something. So what are we thinking about? If it's worries and stressors, that's bad. I've got to change my thinking patterns. Paul says here, think on better things. I've got to, again, replace the bad with the good. Okay, and that word think on means to meditate, ruminate, run over and over again in your mind. So this is deliberate. You're not a victim of your worried thoughts or even your tempting thoughts. So don't give me any of that stuff. You're in control of your thought life. What you choose, what you're going to think about. Okay, so what what should you think about? Paul gives us some good examples here. Think on things that are true. What's real, valid, the facts of the matter. Think on things that are noble, that are honorable and respectable. Think on things that are right. That word means just satisfies duty. Think on things that are pure means morally undefiled, the opposite of unclean. Think on things that are lovely, the things that promote love in others. Think on things that are admirable, helpful, positive, of a good report. Think on things that are excellent, that have high quality, and things that are praiseworthy. That means God-like. Think on those things. We, on the other hand, can allow a lot of junk into our brains, huh? And like the computer garbage in, garbage out, it causes stress. So not only do we think our own bad thoughts that we've got to correct, sometimes people in our life give us their worries, don't they? They, they throw stuff to us. So get an example here. Someone throws you some worrisome thoughts. What do we do? We catch it. We hold on to it. But instead, just knock it down when they throw it your way or throw it back to them. Don't keep it right. Replace the bad with the good. Romans 12 2. do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is good, pleasing and perfect will. So I've got to think like God thinks I'm in the word. That's how I do it. Second Corinthians 10, 5 tells us we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. You're not a victim of your thoughts. You control them. What you're going to think about insight. Whatever I think about constantly is what I'm becoming. So what's the results of thinking good thoughts, peace. In Isaiah, it says, you will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast, or the King James says, stayed on thee, because he trusts in you. 
And Jesus said in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Paul says this peace stands as a guard at your heart's door. That's where guard means Roman garrison and there was one in Philippi. So think of peace, the peace that comes from Christ Standing at the door, so worry thoughts want to come your way. Somebody wants to toss you some worry of theirs so you can have it too. And peace says you cannot enter. It blocks the way. And peace is the result of fruit of abiding in Christ. Verse 7, in Christ Jesus. So if you don't know him as your personal Savior, you're not really going to have peace. Peace comes from a personal relationship with Christ. The world is desperate for peace. They, they try pills, vacations, you know, cruises, books, seminars, podcasts, anything to try to get peace. But it's found in Christ. Jesus is the answer. A relationship with him. He will give you the inner peace you crave and need. So today, are you worried about your finances, your marriage, your health, your kids? We're going to have a quiet moment before our praise team sings. And then we're going to take communion. We want to be continue to be in Christ's presence. But I want you to take a moment here as we close. Are you worried about something? I don't want you to walk out of here still worried. I want you to have that peace that passes understanding. And that can be yours in Christ. So take a moment to just give your worries, the thoughts that you're thinking to the Lord Jesus today. And then. Take this and put it into practice, like Paul says in verse nine, put it into practice what I'm telling you. Okay, let's let's just take a moment, just so quiet. You're giving your worries to the Lord right now. I mean, you can even picture that in your mind. You've got them in your hand. Give them to him. Take these, Lord. I don't want them. Lord, your word is so practical and and relevant and helpful to our lives. I'm sure in a room this size that somebody came in this morning really worried about something. Oh, Lord, I would love for them to be delivered from those worries, that care, that anxiety. Set them free today, Lord. And I pray that they will come back to Philippians chapter 4, these verses. And meditate on them and and put them into practice. Help us, Lord, with our thought life to think on the better, not even merely the good and certainly not the bad. In Jesus name. Amen.